Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Monday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I'm your host, literally Heather. Hope you had a great weekend and you are charged and ready to go for this week. So the first article that I bring to you on this fine Monday morning comes to us from the Rachel Maydow blog. It is written by Steve Bennon. Normally, I'd have a hard time sifting through this, but it's like pouring yourself a large glass of liberal tears to start your day. And I mean, what better way to start a Monday? Starting off strong, There's an admonishment of Rep. Andrew Clyde, who handed out small gifts to congressional colleagues. He gave them lapel pins shaped like assault rifles. And now I want to find them. Uh, The part that pissed them off, though, is that he handed them out during National Gun Violence Survivors Week in what they deemed to be an unnecessary dash of callousness to his stunt. Congressman Barry Moore from Alabama, though, said, hold my beer, and has introduced pending federal legislation, H.R. 1095. The link will be in my show notes. And as of this morning, the bill has three co-sponsors, Lauren Boebert, Andrew Clyde, and George Santos, to make the AR-15 the National Gun of America. He said the United States already has a national anthem, a national flag, and national holidays, but we don't have an official national gun. Steve, the author, goes on to say, to be sure, there is no scenario in which Moore's bill will become law. At least, not anytime soon. This is legislative trolling intended to be outrageous. You want to talk about legislative trolling? I have some omnibus bills, some COVID-19 bills, an infrastructure bill, and a crown act that I would like to discuss with you. The author continues, if your instinct is to be disgusted by politicians who'd respond to mass shootings by celebrating the weapon used in too many of the slangs, then the Republicans championing this bill are no doubt delighted. Someone find a surgeon. This man has a corn cob shoved so far up his rear end that he probably needs it to be surgically removed. Generating outrage is the point. The list of GOP co-sponsors is only likely to grow, so why not ignore it? Well, in part because efforts like these tell us something important about politics. Members like Moore realize that stunts like these will elevate them in the eyes of their party and, frankly, in their opposition. The path to political celebrity status is paved with dumb bills that create fundraising opportunities and appearances in the media. This isn't exclusive to the right. It is behavior that is rewarded on both sides of the aisle. So it is said, let it be done. The AR-15 is the people's rifle. Palmetto State Armory should do a commemorative lower to celebrate the occasion. I remember being younger and seeing a statue of Lady Justice blindfolded, holding her scales in one hand and the sword in the other. 
She is the personification of Justitia, the goddess of justice in Roman mythology. The reason that she carries scales is balancing the act of her consequences and her consequences of the act. Or the consequences, not necessarily her own. The blindfold was originally satire, suggesting that she was blind to the injustices that took place in front of her, and later was meant to resemble impartiality. I tend to think, unfortunately, the prior representation is more true today than the latter. Biden's latest nominee for the federal appeals court that oversees New York and Connecticut has suggested criminalizing speech against oppressed groups and led trainings that taught law school graduates about how microaggressions can kill you. Maria Araujo Khan, an associate justice on Connecticut's Supreme Court since 2017. So keep in mind, you guys, she has been on the court since, two, like, on, on the Supreme Court in Connecticut since 2017. She could be confirmed by the Senate as soon as next week to take the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, which takes cases from two-thirds of the tri-state area as well as Vermont. In a 2020 opinion, Khan joined with her Connecticut colleagues in upholding the breach of peace conviction of a white man who used a racial slur toward a black parking attendant who gave him a ticket. Meditating on the so-called fighting words exception to the First Amendment, which applies to speech deemed likely to provoke violence, Khan wrote. The ultimate inquiry of the fighting words exception is whether a speaker's words would reasonably result in a violent action by its intended recipient. Considering the stereotypes associated associated. <laughs> With immutable characteristics of the addressee, however, produces discriminatory results, she added. The overarching result is that groups of people that, for example, are stereotyped as docile due to their gender or ethnicity, or who have physical limitations due to their age or disability that prevents them from responding violently. The precise groups that face persistent discrimination must endure a higher level of offensive speech before being afforded legal remedies that comport with our Constitution. George Orwell would have made this woman her own character arc in 1984. From the speaker's perspective, Khan lamented, such a result allows him or her to more readily and viciously verbally assault certain oppressed groups without fear of criminal prosecution. It's called free speech. Verbally assault. Ooh, lads, we have our work cut out for us on dialing this garbage back in. Khan, who was born in Angola to Portuguese parents, immigrated to the United States when she was 10 and holds degrees from NYU and Fordham Law is an occasional diversity consultant and has headed seminars for newly minted lawyers on topics like cultural competence and racial anxiety. One such training at Fordham Law forced attendees to watch an animated video titled, quote, 
how microaggressions are like mosquito bites. The video opened with an enormous mosquito telling a non-white college student to, quote, try a less challenging major before sucking the life out of him. Quote, some mosquitoes carry truly threatening diseases that can mess up your life for years, the video states, and other mosquitoes carry strains that can even kill you. In one scene, a black woman blowtorches some mosquitoes after they ask to touch her hair. Another scene shows the aftermath of a shooting with a gun-toting mosquito telling police officers at a crime scene that he felt threatened and had shot someone who looked like he was up to trouble. I don't think these are mosquitoes. For the record, her nomination was reported out of the Senate Judiciary Committee on February 2nd by a vote of 11 to 9. Guess who was the Republican that joined the 10 Democrats to push it over. Lindsey Graham. Tell your friends, raise hell on this one, call your senators. These judicial nominees fly through on both sides and they have some of the most impactful roles in the nation. And disappointingly, no one cares or pays attention. They're just pushed through and everyone is set to live with it. You live in South Carolina, I hope you are lighting Lindsey Graham's phone on fire. Figuratively, of course, not literally, as we see speech is no longer free in these parts. Clarification is needed. Marianne Williamson will attempt a second run for the Democratic presidential nomination. Williamson will make her candidacy official on March 4th during an event in Washington, D.C. that will be streamed on her social media accounts. She made the announcement in a post on Facebook. We are not living in easy times, but the times will change when we are willing to change them. Williamson wrote Saturday, Marianne must have gotten a hold of Kamala's last speechwriter. She said, I feel my 40 years being up close and personal with the trauma of so many thousands of individuals gives me a unique perspective on what is needed to help repair America. In her announcement, Williamson challenged what makes a candidate, quote, politically qualified to become elected, broadly citing critics who doubt her ability to win. She will offer a clashing vision to Biden's based on a donor email obtained by ABC News. She said, I'm not putting myself through this again just to add to the conversation. I'm running for president to help bring an aberrational chapter of our history to a close and to help bring forth a new beginning. Williamson describes herself as a political activist and spiritual thought leader. She made a bid for the nomination in 2019 before bowing out in January of 2020. She then endorsed Bernie Sanders. She also ran for the U.S. House of Representatives in an indep- as an independent in California's 33rd Congressional District, but she lost to Ted Lieu. The Houston native has authored 14 books, including four bestsellers. She said it's time for a generation of Americans to affect a course correction in our nation's history, and we're it. 
Well, I don't think that Marianne can win the presidency. I think that she will present a predicament for Joe Biden's re-election for two reasons. Number one, uncontested, the only talking points against Joe Biden would have been coming from Republicans. And with their lockstep nature, Democrats can usually bat those away and chalk them up to partisan talking points. With someone within his own party running against him, and highlighting and showcasing the ridiculousness of this administration, it will hurt him with moderates who may not be so dialed into the political scene. Number two, it opens a door for other people to join the race. No one thinks that Joe Biden should run for a second term if they're being honest with themselves and anyone else. But if there's anything Democrats hate more than propping up an old man by the jukebox, it's losing. They would have rallied behind Joe in an effort to just make it through and hopefully prevent Donald Trump from his second term. Now there's blood in the water and no one will have to be the first one to step forward because Marianne has done it. The second is less likely because I'm sure there are boomers behind the scenes cracking their whip to minimize any thought of jumping on this bandwagon, especially considering Jill Biden implied this week that he's not done, quote unquote, and he will be seeking re-election. More specifically, Joe mentioned it in an interview yesterday where he was asked about it, or Saturday, I think, where he was asked about his age. He proceeded to say that it was a valid concern, and the only thing that he has to say is, it's legitimate for people to raise issues about my age. It's totally legitimate to do that. And the only thing I can say is, watch me. He later added, I've got other things to finish before I get into a full-blown campaign. (laughs) You know what I smell? My jelly bean bet. Odds improving. Uh, The EPA has issued a slowdown on Norfolk Southern's plans to dispose of waste from the site of the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment until it can review the process. The EPA says Norfolk Southern had previously been responsible for plans to dispose of toxic waste related to the derailment, but the EPA has taken over that process. Officials in Michigan and Texas have complained after receiving shipments of toxic waste with little to no warning. EPA will ensure that all waste is disposed of in a safe and lawful manner at EPA-certified facilities to prevent further release of hazardous substances and impacts to communities. You know what's odd about this? They're talking about toxic waste and that it's so dangerous and that it has to go to specific facilities, but they're continuing to tell the residents, don't worry, the water's fine, go back to your homes, no worries. Plans, quote, will be subject to EPA review and approval moving forward. Roughly 2 million gallons of firefighting water is expected to be delivered to Harris County, Texas in the coming weeks for disposal. About half a million gallons have already been shipped to the county, leading to frustration from local officials. It's a very real problem. We were told yesterday the materials were coming, only to learn today that they've been here for a week, Judge Lena Hidalgo said. Can we talk about that for just a minute? So if my house is on fire or my office building or a train derailment full of toxic chemicals, hoses full of high pressure water 
are spraying all over the place. How exactly do you capture that wastewater before it seeps into the ground or into some sort of runoff process? I just, I don't understand the process and I would love for someone who works in hazmat disposal to reach out to me and explain the way that this process works because it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Biden's administration has faced heavy criticism for its handling of the Ohio derailment in recent weeks, with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg personally visiting the site last week. Many critics argued that the visit came too late. However, with nearly three weeks passing since the crash, we had to wait until the chemicals had passed out of the air. He couldn't put himself at risk. Buttigieg himself admitted that he waited too long to respond publicly when speaking to reporters in Ohio last week. The answer to your question is yes, Buttigieg said, acknowledging that letting a week and a half go by before tweeting about the train derailment was too long. He told reporters he had tried to balance his desire to get involved with the norm of transportation secretaries, which is to permit the proper regulatory authorities to work without his interference. In other words, he did not acknowledge his lack of response as being his fault, but it's just protocol. He said, I felt strongly about this, and I could have expressed that sooner. Again, I was taking pains to respect the role that I have and the role that I don't have, but that should not have stopped me from weighing in about how I felt about what was happening to this community. Yeah, that's why your first tweet about the event was a proposition to Congress for more federal money instead of expressing any sort of concern for the people in Ohio. And yet another shining example of government shitting on the plebs, Britain's Environment Secretary suggested that people struggling to pay for food during historic inflation and expense to the average family consider working more hours. Taking questions on food insecurity Thursday in the House of Commons, Teresa Coffey, a conservative, told fellow members of parliament that one of the best ways for people to boost their income is not only to get into work if they're not in work already, but work more hours or get upskilled to get a higher income. Britain's Office of National Statistics reported food inflation stood at 16.8%. Well, at least they're being a bit more honest about the number. In January, and Coffee acknowledged that the United Kingdom's inflation rate was pushing Britons to their financial limits, calling the skyrocketing prices really tough. I'm sure it's not so tough for Miss Coffee, who earns a whopping £155,817 annually, or the equivalent of 12984 pounds per month. She is single with no children, but telling you to get another job or work more hours to feed yours. Compounding Britain's inflation problems is a nationwide shortage of vegetables, leading some stores to limit sales. Coffee pinned the shortage on poor weather in Spain and Morocco, noting that the UK imports billions of pounds of fresh fruit and vegetables from abroad but insisting the supply chain was highly resilient. Coffee came under fire for telling MPs that Britons should cherish 
UK-grown produce like turnips, while tomatoes and cucumber supplies are limited. Shadow Environment Secretary Jim McMahon called her remarks a slow-motion tractor crash and an insult to hardworking farmers. British consumers are not the only shoppers being battered by surging food prices and shortages, and ONS support details an explosive rise in energy prices, with gas prices up 129.4% year-over-year and electricity prices up 66.7%. But here in the U.S., we have Kamala Harris telling us how much they've saved us on energy. So we can book that vacation we've been waiting to go on. And don't forget, they've worked so hard. You'll be able to see those pesky fees on your resort and flight that you booked to Barbados. The divide between those who make the decisions and those who have to live with the decisions grows every single day. Traditionally, I try to be solution-oriented, but I do not believe that we can comply our way out of this. I want these people to feel the mental, emotional, and financial pain that they have put us through. Their glass houses are shattered from all the stones that they've been throwing at their slaves. That is your Monday morning edition of everything yesterday this morning. I hope you guys have a fantastic day and a great start to your week, and I will see you tomorrow. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.